Hello, everybody, and welcome to Cana Rinse Sound of Play 36.
Sound of Play. Every other Wednesday, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 36 is returning guest Patrick Paddy Stardust Smith. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Welcome, welcome. So, yes, uh, regular listeners may have picked up on this, but we're having people back. Not that we wouldn't have done anyway, but particularly because uh, a few of our guests first time around said three picks was just too hard. So we've expanded that to five picks for our for our guests. And uh, and that means in total returning guests will have had eight tracks with which to express their love of the video game music medium. <laughs> it's still not now, quite enough, though, is it? Well, it's never enough. No. <laughs> it's uh, so hard I, I, still. I've been very lucky because obviously uh, I've presented lots and lots of these, so I've ha- I've got to have an enormous amount of picks, which means that <laughs> I've actually stopped having picks on the current run of podcasts. Uh, but I reserve the right to pick all my favourites whenever I want to again. But currently <laughs> we're doing this. Uh, we're going to have people coming back who have guested before, going to have some new guests and so on and so forth. Um, and yes, uh, it came around. I realised we hadn't had you on since, oh, I don't know, quite quite early on in, in the sound of play. Uh, I feel like it was 19 or 18, something like that. Yeah, it could be, could be about half half the show's lifespan ago. And uh, and I know what you've done here. Um, we've got some really cool and interesting uh, picks between you and our wonderful community requests as ever today. Uh, but you've gone rather excellently for, uh, you've been very careful to try to pick some things from IPs or franchises or composers or possibly a combination thereof who we haven't heard from before? Yeah, absolutely. When I was uh, going through and sort of picking out my my five, uh, my famous five, I was kind of, I wrote loads down and I looked at it and thought, well, I wonder if that's been used before. And I thought, I started going through the list of, you know, the, the giant list of about 300, 400 songs now. I thought, what are we missing? What, what's what's already been used? Well, I can't use that because that's already come up. I can't I can't possibly do that. And I kind of discounted a few. And I thought, I wonder if I can do this with just new, new, completely new IPs for the sound of play. So not even yeah. like games within the franchise. Just completely new IPs that haven't haven't showed up. And I think I've managed it. Job done. Yes, yeah. so we've got a few. We've got a few fresh ones from the community as well. So it should be a fairly uh, distinct podcast. And we open there with the wonderful sweeping cheese of uh, theme of Grandia by Noriyuki Iwadare. So uh, is that is that an old favourite RPG of yours, or is it just the soundtrack you love? Um, well, it's. I, I wouldn't say an old favourite. I'd say a favourite for about five years. Um, ah. Yeah, it was a game that, like, when it came out, uh, I was about. 14, I think. I remember reading mm. the article in PSM, I think, about it. And it, it, I read it. I was like, this looks incredible. This looks really, really good. I want this game. Um, I just never got around to getting it. I was I was young. I was poor. I didn't have much money. Uh, I didn't get a lot of games uh, for Christmas. I got a couple, but I didn't get a lot. So I had to be quite picky with what I chose. Uh, yeah. And circumstances came out, and I, I just never picked it up. Um, then you know, the years passed. I sort of went to uni, came home. You know, I was sort of around sort of 21, 22, and I thought... I wonder, I wonder if I can get back into finding some of these old PS1 games that I kind of I, I wanted to play but didn't because I had a bit more spare cash at the time. I thought, let's, let's look it up. So I remember I picked up uh, Grandia uh, and Vagrant Story um, yes. in the same purchase. I think I spent about £40 on them, which was good at the time. Yeah. Uh, two weeks later, both of them appeared on the PSN for about six quid. Yeah, yeah. So oh, well. Rather stupid, but I've still got the discs, so I don't, I don't mind. And I've bought them both on PSN as well, because it's just a little bit more convenient, you know? Yes, plus they look uh, they look good on the Vita, uh, oh, these old PSN looks, stuff. Everything looks good on the Vita from the PSN. Yeah. Love it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, um, so, Grandia, I 
I like the game. Like to my regret, I've never actually finished it because it's quite no. it's long. It's not hard, but there's quite a lot of grind to Huge. it. Huge. Yeah. 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 Um, but the very first thing that struck me about the game in general was this opening theme. You know, it was. It's I think a really good example of a, a tone setting piece. It really kicks off the game like this is going to be a game about adventure, about like a sprawling land to discover. You know, it it really sets you up that we're going to go on a trip today. You know, we're, we're going to explore the unknown. Um, at sort of times, it reminds me of like like the wind in your hair or like galloping on horseback across a big verdant field. Yeah. It, it's that kind of song. Like it's got hints of Zelda, I think, about it in it as well. Well, it's also got enormous hints of a couple of mid to late 70s classics, which is the thing I've always loved about it, is it basically has the bass line from Love is in the Air by John Paul Young. Oh, God, so it does. (laughs) And it's got the horns from Music, uh, Music Was My First Love by John Miles. So it's. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Noriyuki Iwadare was was inspired by those two tracks. Uh, mm. he, himself, the composer of uh, some classic shoot 'em up soundtracks for the 16 bits, uh, such as Steel Empire and Gainaug or Wings of War on the Mega Drive. Okay. Um, but perhaps best known for uh, the Lunar, the Silver Star series, and Langrissa games. Uh, but also more uh, latterly, he's done some stuff on uh, a couple of the recent Phoenix Wright. Uh, uh, titles so um oh. yeah a, an expansive cv as as they often have but um yeah i, I definitely feel like he was feeling the uh the mid late 70s uh <laughs> vibes with with that one i remember um the sega saturn magazine uh, as it was back in 97 which was already very much uh under the it was uh, under the stewardship of richard ledbetter now now best known for um digital foundry of course mm-hmm. but he was very much encouraging readers to get their saturns uh you know import modified which i did um and that magazine was even encouraging people to play grandia even though it was you know, this epic RPG entirely in Japanese when it came out in 1997. <laughs> um, I didn't go that far, although I was sort of tempted. It was, you know, it was possible you could do it by working out what, what uh, you know, what dialogue options got you through or that sort wow. of, or just learning a bit of a bit of Japanese. But I did wait until the, uh, the PS1 version came out, which apparently is a slightly inferior port to the original, as they often tend to be, but, uh, but it's still there. But actually, I've never finished it either. The, the one of mm. this series that I have finished was Grandia 2 on the Dreamcast, um, which I think is a self-contained story, as I recall, in the same way that a lot of these JRPGs often are. But, I think um, you're right, yeah. Um, yeah, it, this yeah. is the only one of the Grandia series I've ever played. I'm, I'm kind of quite picky about playing a series. I want to play the first one and then the second yeah. one and then the third one. Um, yeah. We'll get to yeah. that later. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I found it like it's such a, a, a nice game. Like it's such charm to it, you know, and, and the, like I found the thing like really sets you up for like this is a lovely, a lovely, nice game. Uh, and even the the quiet part in the middle, it reminds me of like sort of staring up at the sky at night for a campfire, sort of picking out the constellations. It's it's just the perfect soundtrack to to going on an adventure. Um, yeah, and it's it's stuck with me. Um, to my shame, I've not finished it, but I think one day I will. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yes. The, the we often feature our JRPG tracks on Sound of Play, and often the the, the theme that runs through, uh, pardon the pun, is that uh, <laughs> the games remain unfinished. Um, and in fact, I do to an extent have the same. Although I did it wrong with Grandia, I do have an ex- uh, the, the the same sort of issue with starting game, starting franchises and series in the middle, um, <laughs> which is one of the issues with some of the uh, the games we do on the main Kane and Rinse podcast. Because like I don't want to just start. The famous one, you know, like I don't no. want to start a Final Fantasy Seven. I want to start a Final <laughs> Fantasy One. Unfortunately, that means playing Final Fantasy One. But you know, uh, these things are important. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, now on to our first pick uh, from the community, and this is from a new uh, contributor known as Donk. Now, this is uh, perhaps one of the most obscure picks we've featured so far because it comes from a Dujin uh, action platform game from Japan. The game is called Rosenkreutz Stilett, I believe. Anyway, Donk says, good or bad, I always make a point of having the music turned up when playing a game. More often than not, it will grow on me. Listening to the soundtrack on its own later will be more than just the music. It will bring back to your mind the experience of playing the game, which is nice. Trying to expand my video game music taste, I've listened to quite a bit of online game music radio, Rainwave.cc, for example, and I'll submit an amazing song here from a developer I've never heard of, from a game I've never heard of, by a composer I've never heard of. So yes, this is Separin Stage Boss Battle by the mysteriously named AM3, presumably not the Sega Studio. <laughs>
So uh, the developer of that game, as I say, it's a Dujin game, meaning it's basically homemade, but the developer is known as uh, square bracket, open square bracket, sorry, Urka, colon, ES, close square bracket, all lowercase. Sure. Mm, yeah, I'm none the wiser. That's a that's a it's a it's a it's a uh, Windows PC game. Came out in 2009. Um, but yeah, cool music. As I say, this this is a great illustration of the fact that you know we will play we will play cool video game music from wherever it comes, even if we've never heard of the track, or even if the person who requests it doesn't know anything about it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> a cool song is a cool song. Absolutely. Now, next up, uh, this is a game I also don't know too much about, so perhaps you can enlighten us, Oh, Patrick. good. I've, I've done my research again. Good, uh, good. I've mm-hmm. done more research uh, for this show than I've done for the entire last year of my own show, so I'm trying to Thank look clever. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my next pick is a track uh, from a game called Folklore, uh, a PS3 exclusive that came out, if not at launch with the PS3, but very close to it. Uh, it was a, a bit of an oddity. Um, it's... An action RPG, um, sort of JRPG style, but it's got a very Irish uh, sort of fairy coating on top of it. Mm. Um, Battles were played out, you know, you play your battles with these folk that you can capture. It's a little bit like Pokemon, um, but rather than having to summon them up one by one, they are mapped to one of your face buttons. So when you press square, it throws out your big guy. When you press triangle, it throws out your insect man. Uh, And combining the powers up is how you, you get better. Uh, and it's one of the only games that actually used the the six axis uh, in a good, meaningful way. Because when no, you, I don't believe it. No, yeah, d- trust me, it was okay. great. Um, <laughs> you had to uh, when you beat a folk down, you could then capture it and you know use it as one of your own attacks. Uh, so you'd whip out a, a tendril, I think, with R one. Uh, to attack it, and then you'd have to sort of shake the six axis back and forward, and sort of slam it up and down, and oh, wrangling, yeah, almost yeah. like a like like Sega bass fishing type Literally, of situation, almost right. the same. Yeah, exactly the same thing. You sort of flip your controller around, sort of wrangle it, and okay. then to actually flick it in, you have to flick the controller back and whip it towards you. Okay, it was okay. really good, really immersive. I really, really enjoyed doing that. Like it remained fun for the entire game, whipping things back into you towards the screen. Yeah. It was a good laugh, actually. Um, as for the soundtrack, um, it's a very storybook feel uh, to it. Sort of the Irish fairy sort of sound sort of permeates the whole thing. Uh, and the track I've chosen is a really good sampler of that. Uh, it's called Netherworld. It has a sort of a dreamy flow. It kind of meanders in and out. It never quite settles down. Uh, it brings to mind mystery and, and magic, uh, which are sort of two key components of the game. You know, there's, a, there's a mystery going on all throughout the game. And you're trying to work out what's wrong. Uh, and it's really kind of quite engrossing almost, even with the um, sort of, how do we put it, uh, cartoon style cutscenes. Uh, where they kind of show you a shot of two of the characters still with some text on them, and then the next shot is a different pose with some text on them. It's a bit weird, but it's enjoyable. It fits in. It fits in with the tone. Um, it has uh, like a lullaby feel at times, and there's like a low sense of dread underneath it un- at other times. Uh, it really kind of captures the the oddball spirit of the game uh, sort of really, really well. Um, it's not a cheap game to find if you're interested. Uh, right. I did a bit of eBay searching, and £30 is very common. Um, and from what I could tell online, not a lot of people I know uh, have played it. Uh, being an early PS3 game, a lot of people didn't have PS3s at launch, uh, and it kind of went a bit under the radar. Uh, but if you do get a chance to find it, and you'd like your action RPGs to be a bit weird, I'd recommend it. it it's it's out there. There's not a lot like it out there. Excellent stuff. Well, here's the track by Kenji Kawai. It's called Netherworld. Thank you. 
research on the fly here. Uh, actually, I have heard of Game Republic, the developer, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, it's the studio of uh, Yoshiki Okamoto, who uh, was best known for his work at uh, Capcom, but actually started off on some of my very favourite early arcade machines, uh, at Konami Gyrus and Time Pilot. Um, so yeah, that, that studio um, has some has some interesting background. But I got to admit, I don't think I've played a single one of Game Republic's games. Looking back, the names that ring bells are the Genji games, Dawn of the Samurai and Days of the Blade. Oh, was that uh, the one with the crab? Uh, possibly it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the one with I the giant it, crab. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, Dark Mist on the PS3 um, and Knight's Contract as well. But one that does interest me was a um, 2010 game that I've been meaning to get around to playing since it came out, which is called Margin and the Forsaken Kingdom, um, which is oh. on the big big list of uh, of, of games for Kane and Rince to cover on the podcast one day because it always sounded like a real oddity and a curio and a, a single game, you know, one of those games that just exists on its own. There's no no forerunners or sequels mm. as such. It's just a, just a, just a thing. That's the one with the, the character who has a big monster friend. Is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, yes. the demo. There's a demo of it on the PS3. I'm sure there is. I remember playing yeah. it. I'm sure there's a demo. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, same studio as, uh, oh, as Folklore. Yeah. Next up, we have another adventure, a little big one, the second of those games. Uh, and this is requested by Maxstat from the forum, who says, I want to post a tune from one of my favourite childhood adventures, LBA2, an iconic theme that invites you to this magical world. At that time, music was often on CD as audio tracks, so I used to listen to it quite often. So this is the uh, Little Big Adventure 2 theme by Philippe Vachy. Thank you. 
I'm going to say Philippe Vachy uh, or Vachet. Uh, it's a, he's, a, he's a French composer, um, also known for work on the original Alone in the Dark, the 1992 game. And uh, as far as I can find out, the most recent uh, credit for uh, for him was Toy Commander, the uh, the multiplayer Dreamcast Curio, but that was 1999. So, oh wow, who knows? Who knows what's happened since then? But yes, Little Big Adventure two, another game uh, or another series of games often requested um, for us to cover on the main Kane and Rinse podcast, available on a separate feed, uh, and games that I've never played beyond a demo. I don't think same um, but- here. I've only tried it once at my cousin's house because his computer was a bit better than mine. People really love those games. Like people, people who are into the the the, the uh, little big adventure games mm. by Adeline, um, really have an enormous amount of affection um, for them. I think, uh, yeah, it's um, a series that that could definitely wor- be worth some coverage. Mm. And now something from an adventure from way, way before even a little big adventure. Uh, this is from now. I don't think we have featured a single track uh so far from the sound chip of the sega master system i don't think so wow someone may correct me but um to be honest i don't think it's a machine that was known for its spectacular audio by and large i mean i'm not saying there weren't good tunes on it as we're about to hear there clearly were but it's um yeah, but then again, thinking about it, it probably had a superior, uh, technical, technically speaking, it had a superior sound chip to its main rival, the NES. So uh, mm. were you a big Master System guy then? I was. It was my first uh, real console. Uh, uh, I remember being about nine or ten when I got it, and it had uh, Alex Kidd Miracle World built in uh, with the tremendous yep. rock, paper, scissors mechanic, which screwed yes. me over so many times. Yeah, yeah. Well, well was... and for not saying Alex the Kid, as so many people no, do. Oh, you have to I get know. it right. Uh, I got I Sonic 1 with it. I got a couple yes. other little silly games. Uh, the original R-Type I got with it and was just yeah. painfully bad at it. I just couldn't do it. Decent conversion. Not the best, but decent. Yeah, fun game. I was just awful. Mm, <laughs> mm. I, I didn't have much uh, hand-eye coordination when I was nine. No. That, that got better as I went on. Um, but yeah, this uh, the game I'm picking from it uh, is a, another game which apparently, according to the internet, only I have played. Uh, they saw one copy <laughs> and it was to me. Um, yeah. It's a game called Master of Darkness, uh, known as Vampire Master of Darkness in the US, I think. Um, That's right. Uh, I picked it up uh, shortly after I got my Master System, actually. I got it uh, the Master System for Christmas, and then a couple of months later, I went to Toys R Us, and I got a triple pack, which had this in it, um, Super Smash TV, which was a great version of that as well, played yep. really well, mm. uh, and the unbearably dire Pit Fighter. One oh, of wow. The, one of the worst fighting games ever created. <sighs> That's, uh, yeah, notoriously one of the stinkiest conversions of one of the stinkiest fighting games. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, I beat that game as well. I had nothing else to do. I had to. I beat that game, and I felt bad about it at the end. Yeah. The mm. only way to win was to scum kick your way through it. Just jump kick, jump kick, mm. jump kick, and win. That was mm. it. It was simple. Like Rise of the Robots. A lot of a yeah. lot of stinky fighting games shared that that particular trait. It's yeah. Uh, it, it's it was on the PS One before I got a fighting game that was any good. Like it was. They were not good back then for me. I never got on very well with them. Um, so Master of Darkness, though. Yeah. Uh, it's. Now I know it's an unashamed Castlevania clone. Um, right. It only this only fact only occurred to me a few years ago. Um, I didn't have Nintendo machines growing up at all. I was uh, a Sega boy, and then I became 
uh, a Sony pony. Uh, I got my PlayStation. That was me done. I was fine. Uh, I was only aware of the the old NES Castlevanias a few years ago when I started really sort of getting into you know older gaming and stuff. Uh, when I was sort of even even as sort of recently as when I was on the PS3, I was I didn't really care much about older games. I know that sounds sacrilege to some people. But I, to I me, yes. yeah, I just didn't know about them. You know, I, I used to get my PlayStation <laughs> yeah. magazine. I knew a lot about PlayStation and I knew a lot about Sega, but Nintendo and, and the Xbox particularly, yeah, the Dreamcast, sure. didn't know a thing about them. You know, no. I was like, mm-hmm. um, so obviously now I've seen it. I, it's very obviously a clone. Um, but I was unaware of the inspirations when I played it, uh, and I sort of I think it actually does deserve to stand on its own merits. Um, the game actually plays really, really well considering uh, you mm. play a. Paranormal Psychologist, it opens with a Ouija board uh, giving you a message about a, a, a vampire that's uh, terrorising the land and you have to sort of run around London uh, trying to sort of hunt down your hunt down bosses like Jack the Ripper and like sort of a, a creepy wax lady with a ghost head that floats around it. It's, it's a creepy game. Like it's, it's creepier than I think it gets credit for. Um, and the soundtrack really helps to enforce the creepiness. Um, it's really spooky. It's got lots of sort of wobbly 8-bit bloops and bleeps in it and a really sort of deep undercutting of sort of menace under it as well. Uh, there's very little low sort of drone underneath it. Um, it also sort of sets the tone for the game. You know, you get creepy swamp zombies and poltergeists who throw furniture around and reanimated skeletons. Um, the music, tonally, for me, uh, if you want to argue with me on this, argue. I think tonally it fits the game better than Castlevania's music fits it. Like, it feels more <laughs> like it was designed Ooh. for that game. I, no, I, I don't like the Castlevania. I don't, I don't think it matches a lot of it. It annoys me. Actually. I see what you're saying. I mean that 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 is sacrilege, but yeah. uh, but I also but I see there is there I will I will concede that there is sometimes a, a juxtaposition when it comes to the Castlevania music. Sometimes mm. it it can feel like it's from a completely different genre, whereas this is more kind of uh, overtly uh, gothic in its in its eight bit way. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah, 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 absolutely. And it sort of achieves a sort of level of kind of fear and and sort of creepiness and menace uh, with its very sort of low rent bleeps and bloops and it, it does a, a, a fine job i think um the track i have picked is called thames river that plays in the first uh set of levels of the game set along guess this the thames river yeah cool yeah um it's just simply my favorite um it's got a nice plompy beat to it it's got some sort of classic horror medleys uh, melodies to it and it's actually quite catchy i found myself humming this at work the other day mm. enjoy
Rose River by Yokowada and Takashi Horiguchi from Master of Darkness. Um, and there's a the, this is one of the many games um, that has vampire in the title uh, in Japan that has to get changed for its well I don't know has to but the Castlevania games have vampire in the title the Darkstalkers games have vampire in the title and this game is originally called uh, In the Wake of Vampire in Japan and oh, wow. it's called it's called Master of Darkness in in the West. Um, yeah, I don't know what that's about. But um, interestingly, the team behind it, Sims, um, <clears throat> to sort of bring things around, as well as being responsible for things like Ninja Gaiden on the Mars system and uh, and uh, perhaps less successfully outrun 2019, um, <laughs> they were also responsible for bringing conversions to the Dreamcast, including House of the Dead 2, which was a wonderful port of the AM1 coin-op. But they also, to bring this conversation back to where we were earlier, they also converted Sega Bass Fishing. Oh, uh, nice. To, to both the Dreamcast and to the Wii, um, along with uh, Carvia, who co-developed Sega Bass Fishing for the Wii, uh, and that's the team behind Nier. So pff, make of that what you will. I Everything just like... I like is connected. This is yeah. weird. I know, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it often turns out that way when we go down these rabbit holes on, uh, on Cane and Rinse. <laughs> it's part of the fun. <laughs> now we have another new requester of music, uh, another gender non-specific name, but another great uh, moniker, Acrobuster. Magic. Which sounds like a, a, a late 80s uh, Japanese arcade shoot 'em up, but isn't. Uh, <laughs> Acrobuster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, that sort of thing happened. I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles X, like many of us have, and the aesthetic of the game really got me feeling nostalgic for the old Fantasy Star Online games. This song is from Fantasy Star Online Episode 3 Card Revolution. I don't think anyone played this game. It is far different from the rest of the series in terms of gameplay, but the music is still wonderful. This is the song that plays over the intro cinematic and it contrasts with the scenes of technology and space travel in such a neat way. I've also uh, I've also taken a passage here from a, a fan site called squareenixmusic.com uh, about this specific piece, and that says, Fantasy Star Online Episode 3 immediately demonstrates its superior production values with Kenichi Tokoi's Let the Winds Blow. The composition blends the vocals of the boy soprano Krzysztof Przguczki. Apologies, Polish listeners. Przguczki? Uh, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll go with yours. Uh, with the grandiose <laughs> performance of the Warsaw Philharmonic Orchestra. From a soft vocal solo, the entire orchestra gradually enters, culminating in both epic and haunting sections, such as from 1 minute 12, as well as more reflective interludes, such as from 1 minute 47. The final result is sheer bliss. For the actual opening of the game, the theme is remixed into an anthemic trance piece by Kenichi Tokoi. So please enjoy Let the Winds Blow.
So that's from the GameCube uh, exclusive 2003 Fantasy Star Online, episode three. I remember that existing, but being confused and dismayed by it being completely different to the other Fantasy Star Online's. Plus, there was the small matter of the fact that you couldn't, without jumping through a lot of hoops, get a GameCube online in the UK. Say, yeah, yeah. was that online? Well, there were ways and means. Um, people used to play uh, Mario Kart Double Dash through this uh, warp pipe netcode. Um, there, there, there were things you could do, um, and I, I assumed that there were probably... With the Fantasy Star Online uh, fan base being as as rabid and ravenous as it is, I suspect they found ways of of doing this. Even if if this even was online, I mean it's called online, so forgive my <laughs> ignorance um, about episode three. But uh, but yes, this was this was some sort of um, CCG based thing, possibly. But it wasn't like a you know a sort of action RPG in the style of the earlier Fantasy Star Online's. But as we've heard there. Uh, the music, um, you know, maintained its grand sweep and all that sort of thing. So excellent stuff. Now back over to the West. Uh, and again, another game series uh, which we are often requested to cover on the main <laughs> Cane and Rinse podcast. Uh, they're all on the list, the entire series. Um, and this is uh, going to be a pick from you, Paddy, from from a Legacy of Cain, Soul Reaver. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Soul Reaver, the wildly ambitious sequel to Blood Omen on the PS1, uh, a game that is so late 90s it hurts. Mm. Uh, the main character, Raziel, looks like he's jumped off the pages of uh, the classic comic Spawn. Yes, um, the whole Very game, much so. yeah, it, it drips with this whole kind of vampiric, dark, but like really, really cool, greasy black hair style, uh, like the Crow. Uh, everyone wanted to be yes. like it, to be dark and sexy and cool. Bit emo, bit emo before emo was even emo. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, it was primo. See what I did there? Like it. Thank you. Um, Soul Reaver actually holds a special place. It's one of the first uh, games that was actually, you know, a grown-up game that I remember buying for myself. Uh, I remember the cover being like a lenticular, so when you flipped it back and forwards, it would go from the real world to the spectral world, uh, which was amazing to see yeah, on the shelf yeah. going, that's brilliant. And I've played the demo. I got the demo from the PlayStation uh, official PlayStation magazine. I was like, right, this I'm getting this. I'd never played Blood Omen, um, but this one just drew me in. I was exactly the right age. It's like, oh, vampires and scarves are cool. Yeah, I like that. Um, I was a bad teenager, but we all were. <laughs> um, I remember it's world-shifting tech, uh, which mm. really blew me away at the time. I didn't believe that the PS1 could do that. Uh, at any point, you could just fire off a spell and the whole world would shift around you and the landscape would twist. And like, I'd never seen that before. I always assumed that, you know, levels were levels and nothing moved except the odd block here and there. But this is like the entire world shifted and it really kind of flipped on, on my head, you know, what I thought games could do. You know, it really sort of went, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, yeah. I, I, I was really enamored with it. Um, and not only the actual the gameplay and the, the looks of it, like the, the voiceovers uh, with their sort of theatrical swing to them, like very Shakespearean, uh, very well produced, very kind of grandiose and sort of noble voiceovers almost uh, really kind of like caught my eye. Like this is this isn't just someone going, oh, no, you were a Jill sandwich. Like there was some real work put into making the voiceovers mm. sound good, like with the original Metal Gear. Uh, you know, the voiceovers yeah. are part of what really sort of clicked me in. Like, oh, I love this. Um, mixed in with those voiceovers, uh, my favourite memory of the game uh, is actually the intro cutscene. 
um, which sets up a story of betrayal and, and revenge with a bit more class than you'd imagine that it could do mm. uh, for mm. a game about emo vampires. <laughs> yeah, he gets his. It's, it's quite brutal, isn't it? He gets his uh, his wings crushed and ripped off, mm. and his and his face torn off, and yep, thrown into yeah. the uh, the abyss to burn in torment. Yeah, uh, I believe the the phrase is tumbling, burning with white hot fire. I plunged into the abyss, nice. an eternity of torment. It's it's so good. Like the the dialogue over the top. I could say it word for word back in the day. I just put it on, watch the cutscene, and turn it off again. It was so good. Um, but the the dialogue paired up with the main theme uh, in the background, which plays almost in full over the background. Uh, a theme known as. Ozar Midrashim, which I thought was the name of the person who wrote it, but the person who wrote it is actually <laughs> Kurt Harland. Yeah. It took me a little while to work that out because it looks like someone's name. Yeah. Ozar yeah. Midrashim. Just, it feels good to say. Is it a place? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I don't, I don't even know. It um, no. It's used a lot in the series. Um, it shows its face a lot of times during the first game, particularly. Uh, crops up in Soul River 2 and Defiance a couple of times as well, uh, usually mm. during the fight between Raziel and Kane. Uh, it's almost become Raziel's theme throughout the game and it's got a real sort of grunt to it um it was actually as uh, composed by a chap as we've said uh, called kurt harland uh, of the band information society uh, mm. and i'm finding all this out when i did my research yesterday um it was first actually released on the album uh, titled don't be afraid uh, and according to harland the track actually scored in the position as the composer of the game when uh, a mutual acquaintance played it to the team that were making the game and they listened to oh, it right. and they liked it so much they hired him pretty much there and then so I, I cool. didn't even know. Like, I thought it was just composed for the game, but it actually kind yeah. of was brought in, and everything he composed from that point on was was for the game. Yeah, and it uh, he it appears he went on to uh, compose for most of the games in the uh, in the 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 series as it continued. Mm. Yeah, and does a damn fine job. Um, the track itself has become, like I say, iconic for the franchise. Uh, it's got the the big opening horns which set you up, and it's sort of deep sort of tribal drum beat uh, and electronica components flip in. It's like, it's really, again, like really 90s. Like there's a real industrial dirge to it, um, but it's oddly majestic. Uh, with sort of choir chants in the middle, which sort of elevate it up. Uh, and there's some very familiar sound effects used throughout it as well, throughout the game, sort of the moans and screams and sort of odd grunts that you hear some of the vampires making. Uh, they really kind of set the theme as right, this, this is Soul Reaver, you know. Uh, it's like a, it sets the theme with a different world, like a terrible world, where the apocalypse has actually happened uh, and all that remains are the warped, the warped descendants of the guys who won. Um, it's great. I love it. It's a great mood piece, uh, and again, it it really sets the game up. Like it, it sets up the tone. Uh, something that's kind of <laughs> seems to be a theme throughout my picks today. Uh, I like and a tone. I like a tonal piece.
That's by Kurt Harland from 1999's Legacy of Kane's Soul Reaver, the track known as Ozar Midrashim. Uh, I remember uh, having the the Dreamcast version of that uh, after the PlayStation version, which was kind of mm-hmm. you know it felt like getting the sort of HD remaster because it was uh, it was higher resolution um, graphics. Uh, but I have it now on PSN because um, some years ago when when PlayStation Plus was relatively early on um mm-hmm. they wouldn't get away with this now because people moan about whatever they give away oh god um yeah. uh but they used to give away playstation one classics as part of your ps plus subscription which to me seemed more than fair enough uh, Very well. like tons of them as well i've got yeah, lo- yeah. I, I've, I've been signed up since day one uh, right. i've actually got yeah. um i actually have on my wall in front of me a a, a framed picture from sony uh, to commemorate my five years with PlayStation Plus, which, <laughs> right. which which tells me in no uncertain terms, I have 104 friends. I made it, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> yeah, but yes, yeah, so that that was a freebie. So I, um, yes, that's uh, that's a game. I think um, I, I had a little dabble with it going back to it. I guess this was um, three or four years ago, um, and <clears throat> I think uh, the issue I had with it was only really signposting. Um, it's uh, it's of its age in that. It it doesn't really always point to you where to go. Now, um, I've, I worry that I'm getting a bit of a reputation for being lazy when it comes to this stuff, when actually what I like in gaming is a sweet spot between being handheld and told where to go and dragged mm. there by large golden arrows or breadcrumb trails or whatever, and the other end of the spectrum, which is the completely uh, signpost-less, you work it out, uh, such as issues I had with Zelda 2 recently, um, (laughs) uh, which I believe you've played recently as well. I have indeed, yes. Yes, Uh, and uh, yes, you'll you'll know that that game is, it's a challenge to find your way around. Um, Let's go with challenge, that's radio safe, right? Yeah, without a (laughs) walkthrough. Yeah, Um, but... But as, as as I keep wanting to say, we had some we had some amazing feedback about that game from people who adore that game and mm. think that you know we gave it very short shrift because we didn't work it out for ourselves. You know, if, if anything, you know, we undermined our own experience by using walkthroughs and saves coming and all that sort of thing. But back to my point, um, this game seemed to have a uh, the legacy of Kane Soul Reaver uh, seemed to be of its time in that it wasn't quite telling me where to go enough for my lazy 2000 and whatever self to just go I I need to go here now I need to go here but that probably means that there's a really rewarding adventure to be had by actually figuring these things out and bear in mind you know I come from the days when uh, 8-bit adventures had you know absolutely no signposting and you working out where to go and what to do was the game so yeah I I definitely I think I'm almost certain I played Soul Reader with a glide sort of nearby I didn't use it a lot Sure. But once or twice when I just needed to know where the next thing was. Like, oh, oh, over there. Yeah. Oh. Just and then, some, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or where the secret, uh, like, fire soul reaver power could be found, which yeah. isn't easy to find if you just wander about. Um, just, just hints, hints. I didn't I didn't follow the walkthrough, but I, I used hints. And once you've done it once, you don't need it again, so. Yeah, sure. But actually, I, I agree. Even looking at it, you know, a few years ago, um, the the sort of the way the world morphs between the two things, obviously, you know, probably influenced by uh, Link to the Past and stuff like that. Mm. But it's uh, but it's got some uh, it's, it's still got the power to impress. Uh, and I think you can get virtually all of those games in that series on good old games if, if you've got a, you know, a PC of any sort. So check those mm. out. Now, penultimately for this sound of play, we have yet another new contributor. Uh now, this one I reckon I do know is male because uh, they've put their name as Kevin. 
um, and their robotic code name is Kevin C five two eight zero. Isn't my... that a graphical calculator? See, I was going to try to decode it by suggesting that Kevin's surname starts with C uh-huh. and he was born on the 5th of February 1980. Um, but maybe he's a massive fan of the C5280 graphic calculator by Texas Instruments. I think I think it might even be the one. That's genius. I love it. I have no idea. Anyway, Kevin says, although suffering from a severe lack of narrative and clunky controls, Armored Core 2 was a unique experience in my gaming history. I'll never forget nights spent building my very own highly customizable mechs, pitting them against my friends' builds and single-player missions. With its chaotic beat but happy melody, the song Op perfectly captures the childish happiness and freedom one gets piloting a mech through a cool sci-fi environment. Hoshino there with uh, Op from Armored Core 2, a series I am not hugely familiar with, other than I know there are lots of them 
and uh, Kota Hoshino does the music for virtually all of them. Uh, our our mech, one of our mech correspondents would be uh, Sean Bell from the Midnight Resistance podcast. I know he's he's into all that mm. stuff. Are you a mech man, Paddy? I I've not played them either. I know that the guys who made it went on to make a couple of little games that um, I think yeah. a couple of people might have heard of. Uh, yes. Dark Souls, perhaps. That would be that studio, yes. Obscure yes. one, I know, but yeah, yes. uh, it's one. It's a series I really think I should have got into, but. I, Big robots, they should do it for me, but they don't usually. No, I no, don't know why. I think Zoe was as close as I got. Sure, it's one. It's one of those things. Big robots, either either they 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 get you uh, hot and bothered, or, <laughs> or or they're just big robots. But yeah, that's from two thousand now, and that was already the second Armored Core game. Um, but yes, I don't think Armored Core is such a priority for uh, for From Software these days. Uh, <laughs> But who knows, maybe they'll drag it back kicking and screaming when virtual reality is in all of our homes. Now, remember, please venture over to our forum at canerince.com and you can request, as you've heard, your favourites or other obscurities and oddities or whatever else, uh, but probably not licensed tracks by and large on the whole, unless there's a very good justification. And we'll continue to include a selection of those in a playlist for each regular Sound of Play. Please subscribe to this podcast, Sound of Play, uh, and our other podcast, Cane and Rinse, which is on a separate feed where we talk in depth about uh, one game at a time generally, or occasionally a series or franchise. Uh, Leave this podcast a review or just a rating on iTunes or wherever else you can get it from. Uh, Tune in, Stitcher Radio, things like that. Uh, Now, before you explain why you've picked this, and really it needs, and there is no explanation for the final track, but I'm glad (laughs) you picked it and I can't believe we've never featured it before. I was stunned when I I couldn't find it on the list. I couldn't believe it either. I know. I'm sure I I thought I picked it anyway. But um, (laughs) yes, so uh, Paddy, thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, before you tell us about this this last pick, um, what uh, what is it of your work that you would like to inform our listeners of? Oh, thanks. Thanks for the plug time. Um, <laughs> no worries. Well, uh, you can find me on the Twitter, at uh, Paddy Stardust. Um, I am half of the Twin Humanities podcast. Uh, regular listeners will re- uh, know CJ, uh, who's been on a few times on your Dragon's Dogma shows, on a lot of the Soul shows as well. Um, and Sound of Play a couple of times. Two Sound of Plays as well, absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, we talk about Dark Souls, we talk about Bloodborne, how he say doesn't, CJ doesn't really like Bloodborne, and it makes me sad. Really? Um, yeah, it's there's we go in depth on that. It, it makes me eternally sad. But what are you going to do? Um, <laughs> we also do an, another show called Oh the Humanities, which is where we just talk about other games stuff we've been doing. We recently did our Game of the Year show uh, in February. Uh, we're a bit late on that one, but we had time to mull it over. I think. I think um, that's a very good idea because I think the problem is I've done I've done plenty of you know end of the year shows at the mm. end of the year, and it's an enormous amount of fun. But there is a real problem with the games that came out in November December not getting fair. A fair crack. So. Or getting the only crack sometimes. You just get the ones from November, yeah. December and people forget about the earlier games, yes. you know. Yeah, that's also true, which is uh, which is why we maintain our policy of uh, on Cane and Rinse of not covering anything that's very new at all. Mm, so, absolutely. So well um, done for, for that uh, show of restraint. <laughs> we try. Uh, we also do occasionally, very occasionally, uh, another show called Twin Destiny, which is just about destiny. Uh, we tend to be Fading one of those... away like the game itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we still like it. We still play it. We've been raiding with a good squad. Uh, oh, cool. We found we found good friends with that. Um, and also, uh, another thing I've been doing is I've been uh, inspired somewhat by you guys uh, and by something I've wanted to do for a while. Mm. Uh, I am playing through all of the Zelda games. Uh, I've never played any of them. 
Wow. Uh, playing all of them in order. Uh, and I'm writing about them for playingitwrong.co.uk. Uh, I think it's .co.uk. Don't hate me if it's not. Uh, a website run by a good friend of mine, Ellie. Um, and yeah, I've, I've never played them, so I've, I've played the first two. I've played uh, uh-huh. Legend of Zelda and I've finished Zelda 2 now. And You're over the hump. I'm over uh, the hump. It, the but, worst by is and large, depending on you know your your mileage may vary. Different people have different tastes. This is uh, this is it's all subjective. But I was when I was playing through those first two, I was thinking right, you know, once once I'm past these, and this is part of the problem in a way because mm. going going into Zelda two, so many people had told me um, that it was this really really difficult experience that perhaps it coloured my view. Um, I think you had the same thing. I think it's very hard to go into a game like that now Absolutely. with an open mind, isn't it? I, lis- I listened to your show after I finished it. I yeah, wanted to sure. get it finished, write down what I thought, and then listen to you guys. And you echoed a lot of what I said. It's like sure, I, sure. I save scummed. I had four slots. I had the one that was my safe one. I had the one that was for the dungeon. I had the one yeah. that was for the room, and I had the one that was the single enemy that I couldn't beat. Like I was awful. I was just scumming my way through it, and I felt bad. Most of my review of Zelda Two is me feeling bad about myself yeah and and as i say i I know i keep reiterating this but as i say we had some great correspondence unfortunately some of it after the podcast so we didn't get to include it Mm. from big fans of that game and and i did i did i was at pains to point out that actually although that game i think is quite a challenging game by the standards of other video games it's not impossible to play it through completely as the developer developer intended and to get through it and it's not like it's just unfairly killing you at all opportunities Mm. it can feel like that but it's not impossible to win the lottery either yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you can you can manage that game with 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 a lot of patience Mm. and skill but um, having some knowledge of it pre beforehand also like i was going in completely blind and i tried with that guide i just couldn't do it i just could not do it Uh, but i'm in link to the past now and everything is okay in the world again magical yes uh we recently covered that as well so yeah uh, I'm hoping yeah, to catch up. I'm, I'm really hoping to catch up because I want to give you some yep. some first timer thoughts because I've literally be never great. played a single one uh, and I'm getting them all fresh. So yeah, I really want to catch up. Definitely feature those. Yes. Well, we're recording our uh, Link's Awakening podcast a, a week from today at the time of recording. Um, we record today, by the way, on the 20th anniversary of uh, the release of the original Pokemon games. Oh. Uh, so perhaps we should have featured a Pokemon track, but uh, happy <laughs> birthday, Pokemon, anyway. Uh, but this is from something completely different. Mm, uh, my final track uh, is from a game I actually really, really don't like. Do you not? Okay. I, dis- I really don't like it. So, uh, okay. Uh, I do game, like it. Yeah. The game is Katamari Damashi. Um, I missed it when it first turned out on the PS2. Like, it, I don't know for what reason. I'd completely missed it. Uh, it came out at a time when I wasn't really paying attention. I missed it. Whatever. Um, mm. I only got to play it quite a few layers later. Um, like, I love the style of it. I like the idea, I love the King of the All Cosmos, I love the soundtrack, mm. but I just don't like the actual game. I didn't Fair get enough. a lot out of rolling the ball. Like, I just didn't get on with it, and I, I should have. It seems like it's me. Like This is like for you. Like Someone's got a picture of my face and said, let's make him a weird video game. Mm. Mm. And I've got it, and I just, I just don't like it. That's a shame. I see what you say. I mean, the, the one thing I will say about it is, now I've owned multiple versions of this game. Mm. Uh, it's the, 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 
strange thing about it was when they first released it, uh, the the creator whose name temporarily escapes me, um, but he's the guy behind uh, Nobby Nobby Boy um, and other crazy things. Mm. Um, he said this was going to be a one off, but because it did well, of course, uh, Namco insisted that <laughs> they made. So they made We Love Katamari on the PS2, and then there was Beautiful Katamari on the 360, and there's Touch My Katamari, and there's the one on the PSP as well. They've done, you know, um, and the mm. one I own now is Katamari Forever on the PS3, which is a kind of sort of best of uh, all the Katamaris, but in HD. So I, I think that's like the, I would say that's the definitive one to own. Um, but what, yeah, what I will say about it is, is that it is fundamentally quite repetitive. Um, it is really, you know, it, what changes is the scale and it, it, it you know the more you roll the more insane things get so you start off by rolling up tiny little things on a table and by the end you're rolling up cities and towns and that mm. if that if that doesn't do if that doesn't do it for you in some way then and just the the sort of rolling around of this lumpy ball doesn't um doesn't feel nice to you then you're not going to like it simple yeah. as that it's, it's a shame because I literally like every other everything aspect else, of yeah. it. Everything <laughs> else is fine. Like the King of All Cosmos, proper dude. Like, oh yeah, I could I could watch you insult the size of my Katamari ball all day. Like mm. fine, you're great. Um, every aspect apart from the gameplay, uh, but the soundtrack. Yeah, back on track. Uh, the soundtrack is no exception. It's excellent. It's a bouncy, bubbly, sort of funny jaunt. It flips around from sort of jazzy pop to sort of whimsical flute. It sort of bounces all over the place, really, sort of like the game. Um, I've chosen the main thing, uh, Katamari on the Rocks. Uh, it's it's basically five minutes and fifty seven seconds of happiness. Mm. Um, it sort of it kicks in with sort of driving purposeful bongos uh, with some triumphant brass that kicks in over the top to kind of build up the build up. Just as you think it's about to kick in, it does back down again and goes back to the choo 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 doo choo bit, um, which makes me laugh every time. I don't know why. It just mm. sounds funny to me. Yeah. Um, and when when the na na na's kick in, like if you don't sing along with the na na na's, <laughs> you're basically dead inside. It it's joy. Um, so. Listen to this track, put it on nice and loud, uh, dance around your kitchen like a loon to Katamari on the Rock. Yeah, or if you're on the bus, on the commute, at work. Oh, wherever. Uh, it's appropriate wherever. Yeah. Uh, people will people will assume, based on the dance that you're doing, that you're listening to Katamari on the Rock by Yumiaki, uh, the vocal <laughs> by Masayuki Tanaka. Um, and uh, before we leave you, obviously, you can't do it right now, uh, but do check out the intro video that goes with the game as well, because uh, it kind of it, it enhances the joy somewhat. Anyway, thanks once again, Paddy. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. Great picks. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, we'll see you next time. Katamari means ball of soul really yes katamari damasi means yeah it says uh, ball of soul i can't remember which one katamari is the ball Must be ball. damasi is the soul i nice. think that's right oh, okay i just thought it was two random words they called out no 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 oh no, great no, it always means something <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. <laughs> 